Hello and welcome to Season 5 of the LuxCast, where we explore the intersections of Christian faith, culture, and our lives. My name is Megan Rice, Communications Coordinator at Western Theological Seminary. The theme of this season is public theology as we engage in dialogue about topics that affect both the church and society. Today's guest is Dr. Jana Bennett, Professor of Religion at the University of Dayton. Dr. Bennett is a moral theologian and author of Water is Thicker Than Blood, an Augustinian theology of marriage and singleness. Dr. Bennett was on campus for a colloquy hosted by the Gerard Chair in Reformed Theology, during which she also participated on a panel on a theology of singleness. WTS student James Shetlick sat down to talk with her about her books and why marriage and singleness are important topics for the church. Yana, thanks so much for joining me in our interview today. Um, you are the author of several books on marriage, singleness, and households in the church. What originally piqued your interest in these topics, and what kept you interested enough to write a second book on them? Like many people, I, uh, when I became an adult, I looked around and realized, wow, I'm single in this church that isn't for single people. So I think I have the experience that a lot of people had, which is um, uh, going to church every week and seeing that there's a lot of married people with families and, mm. and then there's me. And, um, and I seem to be the only person in the parish or um, congregation that was single. And, and, um, and this struck me as a problem because that didn't seem to be at all what was being described in the Bible about singleness or marriage. And so, um, so that's what got me interested in it was just that experience, just that kind of basic experience of being the only one it felt like. Mm -hmm. As I did my research, of course, I discovered there's a lot more there. So. so your first book called Water is Thicker Than Blood reflects largely on Augustine's theology of marriage and singleness. Why did you particularly choose Augustine, mm -hmm. and why are you interested in what he has to say in these areas? Yeah, so it, uh, it's funny because I didn't think I was going to choose Augustine okay. at the beginning. Um, I, in fact, I wanted to do anything but Augustine. Okay. Um, partly because people uh, in the past 40 years have had a pretty kind of love-hate, mostly-hate relationship with Augustine. Um, they see him as the father of misogyny. They see him as, um, as inciting a particular view of marriage that people don't want anymore, especially a kind of patriarchal, very hierarchical kind of view of marriage. And so Augustine had kind of been left behind. But the thing was, is when I was thinking about my book, is that Augustine, so he wrote 1,500 years ago, and he's been so influential um, in most areas of Christian life, and especially on marriage and singleness. You know, he wrote, uh, he wrote the first major treatises on marriage and singleness in the Western church um, back in 409, 409. And, uh, and those treatises have just continued, they continue to be cited today. Mm. And they continue to be cited and across all these denominations, so Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, um, Reformed, so they're just, they're, he's everywhere. And so I realized if I was going to be, uh, if I was going to take seriously what the tradition says about 
marriage and singleness and if, if I was going to try to revamp the theology um, in a way that recognized both single and married people that I was going to have to tackle Augustine. So um, there was this kind of realization point I had where, oh golly, I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> but oh, that's awesome. I did it. Yeah. That is awesome. So often, and you note this in your book, marriage and singleness are often thought of as very separate states. Um, and singleness is often thought of as a lack of being married. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's necessary to speak of marriage and singleness together? And how might the church move from viewing singleness um, with this concept of lack to viewing singleness as gift or the gifts that singleness mm -hmm. brings? Yeah, so, um, so I think that idea of singleness is the lack of marriage is, um, is prevalent and very problematic and absolutely the wrong way to understand singleness. Hmm. Um, because I think that scripture suggests to us that singleness is a gift. I mean, first of all, we're all created as single people, mm -hmm. um, but we're also created, and we're also created with the great gift of the love of God. And so that there's this kind of, this very basic original hmm. aspect of being single. And, um, and then when you look at, say, the most prominent passage about singleness um, that many people quote, it, Paul's letter to, first, first letter to the Corinthians, it talks about singleness as being better than marriage. Like, he wishes that everyone were as he is. Um, what, what did that mean, you know? And so, so I think um, singleness suggests a gift, a great gift to the Christian community. And we have to understand that gift in relation to marriage. Singleness helps us understand marriage, and marriage helps us understand singleness. And so they need each other. These states of life need each other in order for us to be a faithful church. Hmm. Um, and so, so that's why I think we've got to have both of those. Hmm. One of the most thought-provoking and beautiful claims in your book is that being human requires being both married and single. Mm -hmm. um, can you give us a taste of how you and Augustine come to that conclusion? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so Augustine has this vision of the church as being the bride of Christ, which again is scriptural. Mm -hmm. And so, so he's envisioning that the church is, this, is about, in a certain way, about being married. Um, it's about this relationship with God that expresses a certain deep kind of love. And at the same time, Augustine talks about the church as being virginal, mm -hmm. as being a, a bride that has been set apart for God, that is living out a particular gift of, um, of singleness for God and for God alone. And so there's this kind of dual sense mm -hmm. of both marriage and singleness, this kind of deep love, deep longing for God that we sort of symbolically relate to marriage, but also this deep, um, this deep set apartness for God that we relate to maybe mostly to often to singleness. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they, again, they both got to be there. They've got both got to be together in order for us to sort of fully appreciate what it means to be church together. Yeah. The other book that you wrote on singleness mm -hmm. um, called Singleness and the Church um, describes several states of singleness, including widowhood, divorce, and single parenting. Why do you think it's important to see the uniqueness of all of these states rather than grouping 
all experiences into one single experience. Mm -hmm. So singleness, is, in order to appreciate all the gift of singleness, um, we have to recognize that all these different states of singleness are, have different ways to show us something about God's relationship with us. Mm. And um, if we don't separate those gifts, if we just kind of lump it all together, I think we just really miss all the beauty and the diversity of all the gifts that singleness can be for the church. Mm. So um, single parenting, the mm. gift of single parenting, we have um, we have a really great gift there of, of, of the graciousness and the dependence that, um, that single parents have. I mean, in order to be a single parent, and, and by single parent, I mean um, military families, um, maybe a spouse is incarcerated, uh, and, and um, maybe a spouse is widowed or divorced. Mm -hmm. um, and there could be just multiple reasons why somebody might be a single parent. And, um, and, and there's this gift there of, uh, of dependence um, on each other. I mean, in order to be a single parent, you're dependent on the community. Mm. But the thing about that is, is that the community, um, we live in an age where the community doesn't necessarily, the church community, we don't necessarily recognize that we're dependent mm. um, on each other and that we too are dependent. Mm. Um, we tend to like to think of ourselves as independent. And um, we have an image of a nuclear family as having to be independent um, and self-sufficient. And that's kind of an idolatrous idea. Mm -hmm. um, God didn't create us to be that kind of independent family, mm -hmm. like with sets of families that are just, you know, separated from each other. Um, and so I think the witness that single, one of the witnesses that single parenting gives to us is that, that understanding of deep dependence. But, um, but each of the states of life have that, mm. have a different kind of gift to offer to us. And so, um, so I just felt like it was really important to highlight all the different kind of gifts that, mm. I, that I was seeing. Also, I think it's important for people to recognize that singleness comes from multiple places. Um, we tend to have an, again, in our culture, we tend to have an idea that singleness is about you know, just being never married. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a problem too, because in fact, uh, almost half of all American adults are single. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they're not living that kind of idealized married life that Christians often tend to push mm -hmm. in their churches. And, you know, going back to what I said earlier, um, I mean, my experience as a single adult was looking around and seeing all these single families. And that just gave a lie to the fact that there were widowed people there and there were divorced people there and there were um, single parents who were, you know, just trying to make it through the week. There. And there were, there were people who were um, trying to figure out, like, am I going to get married or am I going to stay single? I mean, there was just a whole range. And so uh, the church is a place where all of that is embraced and where there's so many gifts that we offer to each other. What does your work or what you found in your work um, mean practically for preaching or talking about marriage in, relate, in relation to states of singleness in the church? Well, I hope more people will preach about being single. Hmm. I, I, I do hope that. I hope that um, singleness becomes valued once again as the kind of gift 
that I think it has been in past ages and that I think the gospel lifts up for us. I think Jesus lifts that up for us and I think, um, and so does Paul. And so I do hope that it, that we as a church community begin to hear images of singleness and see images of singleness and remind ourselves of the importance of the gift of singleness. Um, so that's one implication. But I also think that practically speaking, we Christians need to be um, reaching out to each other much more and be much more ex expansive in our understanding of, of, um, of our households, mm. right? That our household ought to include, as, as mine does, uh, you know, several godparents of my children who are not married, they're, they're single. And, um, and, and we're, we're, always think, we're always trying to invite each other to each other's houses. And I, I think there's a tendency to, um, it, it's kind of natural to just say, well, you know, I'm single and it's Friday night and I'm gonna hang out with all the other people who I know are gonna be awake at nine o'clock at night on a Friday night because they're single and, and, um, and, you know, they don't have, I don't have a three-year-old and maybe these married people do mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, or vice versa, to spend only all your time with the other soccer parents mm -hmm. who also have kids in soccer, yeah. right? But that's just not embracing the, um, that's not embracing the beauty of all good people. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that we become much more intentional about including each other in all our lives. You've already touched on some of this, but the last question that I have for you is about something that you wrote in your first book, that the phrase, water is thicker than blood, refers to the point that for Christians, baptism and relationships we have with other Christians are more potent than our blood ties and familiar relationships. So what would it mean for the church to embody that claim that you made? Mm -hmm. yeah, it, yeah, it means to, um, to remember that once we've been baptized in Christ, that we are now part of a new family mm -hmm. of God. We're now part of a new household of God. Um, you know, I think a lot of baptism rites, when you read the liturgies, it will say something like, the, the, the presider will say something like, members of the household of God. And Augustine says that at mm -hmm. multiple points. And, um, and I still remember the baptismal liturgy that I grew up with in the Methodist church said something like, after every person was baptized, uh, the congregation was invited to say, with God's help, we will so order our lives after the example of Christ that this child may be sustained and confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to life eternal. And there was this call on all of us to be the parent of that newly baptized person, no matter how old that person was. Mm -hmm. You could be baptized at 90 and still be a child of mm -hmm. baptism, right? And, um, and I just think that that kind of reality of baptism resets for us what does our family look like and remind me that while I may have biological children, I have a call to be a parent to all these other children as well, no matter the age. And um, that, I think, reshapes how we think about our church mm. and our church life. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for your work, Dr. Bennett, and for taking the time to talk.